We are making our way through this wonderful book full of encouragement, encouragement for Christians and a world that can make us weary. And I trust that you're encouraged as we go through this. And if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. We pray God's blessing on you. Um, I know that to come here is to uh, meet friendly people, kind people, um, but it's more than that. I, I, it's to, we trust, encounter God, who's the one that's working in our lives and changing us to give us that sort of um, attitude and perspective to, to be loving and accepting uh, and to look more and more uh, like Jesus. Behind that is the living God. So we pray as you're with us this morning that you'd not only encounter loving people, but uh, God and His goodness and His great love this morning. We're going to look in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Uh, he loves to do that, and we need to hear Him. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this um, wonderful book that You've preserved. And Lord, it was more than just a letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. It was that, but more. It, it is Your Word. It is Your living Word. It is Your very Word. It is You speaking through Paul writing to the Thessalonians to not only minister to them back at that time 2,000 years ago or so, but to minister to your people through the ages and to minister to us today. And so thank you, Lord, in your design, your sovereign design, you're in control of all things, you have determined that today would be looking at this passage. And so we trust you, God, to speak to us. And I thank you, Lord, that, that um, I get the privilege of serving you and your people, but also, Lord, I, I tremble at that because how much I need you. And Lord, you're worthy of so much more than I could ever give, and your precious people who you love so much um, deserve so much more than what I could give. So I pray you'd help me. And I pray as a result of our time, it would not uh, be about uh, what I say or whatever, but about you and you speaking. We want to hear from you. We are desperate, Lord, for your living word this morning, so we ask you to be here with us and uh, speak to us, change us, and be glorified as a result, we pray. Bring life, life to weary souls, life to dead souls, life to bring glory to your worthy name, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Follow along with me in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, as Paul continues to speak to his friends in Thessalonica. He's been separated from them and he's worried about them and so he writes in this letter in chapter 3, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted 
about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. God's Word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1-10. through 10. Have you ever thought what you would want to say to your younger self? I don't know if you've ever seen the trend that's out there, advice to a younger me. There's actually a song, I think, uh, to that theme as well. Have you ever thought what you'd want to say to your younger self? What would you say to yourself 10 years ago, 20, 30, if you're old enough, 40, even 50 or more? What would you say to your younger self? What sort of advice would you give? Well, if you look up on the internet, you'll see a, this, a lot of people have thought of these things and been asked these things. Here's, a, here's just some uh, opinions from different famous people. Um, I think we have this to show. Mark Cuban, the uh, entrepreneur, uh, he said, you've got to know where you are good and where you are not good. That's pretty good advice. Uh, Shirley MacLaine um, says, interesting, Regardless of how outrageous it may seem, ask for guidance from your higher self and follow it. Also, don't eat so much sugar. Um, Joe Jonas, don't overanalyze things. Just have fun and enjoy every minute as it comes. When you're young, it's easy to worry too much about what people think of you. Britney Spears, never get married is number one. That's probably the best advice I could give myself if you know her story. Um, Kelly Clarkson, when people call you fat and imperfect, simply remember you can sing circles around them. Emma Stone, stop with the self-tanner. It's enough. Clint Eastwood, the young Clint Eastwood was never a smart kid. I, you kind of hear Clint Eastwood saying this, right? You know, slow down and say it in the Clint Eastwood voice. I was a slow learner, so I would tell myself if I could, speed up the process a little bit and more, and practice, practice, practice. Mark Wahlberg, I was in a bad place when I was younger. I'd remind myself that it's not too late to turn my life around. Good, good advice. So there's a mixture there, good stuff and so forth. Um, what would you say? What would you want to say? Well, I think the Scripture uh, would guide us in saying some things to our younger self that w- would be really important. And I think one of the things I would say to my younger self, and I hope we would too as well, in light of our passage today, is that life can be hard. Life is good, but also life can be really hard. And it's just part of life. And you have to get used to that and understand that. There's good stuff and there's afflictions. Afflictions are part of life. And, and I think that's good advice to our younger selves to, to help our younger selves understand there's going to be difficulty. Don't be surprised by it. And really, that's what this passage is about. This, that's what this passage teaches us is that we are destined for afflictions. It says it right in the passage. We are destined for afflictions afflictions and overcome them as God sends us help through others. That's the the core lesson I believe we learn from this, that we are destined for afflictions and overcome them as God sends help through others. So let's dig in and and learn about these different things. So first, we are destined for afflictions. Verse 3. Verse 3, Paul says, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. He's talking about difficulties. He's talking about Affliction. It's interesting, this letter, which is really a letter of encouragement, it's a powerful letter of much encouragement, it's written in the context of much affliction. The whole storyline behind this is that Paul was there and and there was persecution that was so severe that he had to leave the area. And, And they have continued to experience affliction in Thessalonica 
where they are. They've, they've experienced opposition to the Gospel. They've experienced opposition to their own faith in, in believing. And, and, and they are facing all sorts of things. And at any moment, as far as Paul knows, the, another mob might form and attack them again. And, and Paul is, is thinking about them and this affliction and he, he's troubled by it. He, can, he says he can bear it no longer. Uh, it, it's so troubling that he wants to do something about it. And he's willing to be left alone, he says, in Athens to send someone back to somehow help them in their affliction because their affliction is so serious. So he's in turmoil as he thinks about what they're going through. So this encouragement, this letter of encouragement is written in the context of much affliction. That this is a church that's afflicted and persecuted. And for Paul and his love for them, it's nerve-wracking to be away from them and think about how they are doing. I, I think for some of us, many of us, we've experienced this this past week as we've sent two of our own overseas to be part of an effort to share the Gospel and uh, start new churches with uh, pastors in the area. And they've gone to a part of the world that is, is very different from here where Christians are persecuted. And uh, I'm sure for many of us, we were, we were worried and concerned. How are they going to... B, uh, not only were two of our own sent away, but our, our son actually was in another part of the country very near them that was even more dangerous. Um, and we lived for those updates. Just w- what's going on? It was hard. It was hard to be away and think that, you know, what could happen? And, and so between updates, we were just praying and, and, and concerned. And, and that's, that's Paul, what he's experiencing here as he thinks about the Thessalonians. He's, he's thinking, you guys are there and you're facing affliction and I'm troubled and I'm concerned about it. And so part of how he helps them in ahead of time and in, in the letters, he says, guys, don't be surprised. He, he tells them that uh, the, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Part of Paul's ministry in discipling the Thessalonians was to tell them, guys, you're going to face affliction. You're going to face trouble. You're going to be attacked for your faith. You're going to face other troubles. You're going to suffer. Don't be shocked by it. That's how he cared for them. And so when he writes the letter, he reinforces that and says we're destined for this. Philippians chapter 1, he says to the Philippians nearby as well, for it has been granted for you, to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. To be a Christian is to suffer. To live in this broken world is to suffer. So everybody faces affliction. And then as a Christian, you pile on top of that affliction for the sake of Christ. Affliction because of your faith. Being treated wrongly because you simply believe something differently than others. It's part of Christianity, and, and, and though we want to put forward all the glorious promises we have in Christ when we present the good news of Christ, Christ coming to die for our sins so we can be forgiven, and through faith, in Him have new life, eternal life, and presenting that and all those wonderful promises, we also need to help people understand that they're getting into something that will bring even more affliction in life. Not only the standard afflictions of, of life, the storms of life that, that rain down on the house on the rock and the sand, they all they, it comes to everybody, but now when you believe in Christ, you're going to face further affliction because there'll be opposition to your faith. Part of what's going on in Thessalonica is there are people who don't believe how the Thessalonians believe. And because of that, they, they are persecuted. And much of the world, that's the reality. To believe in Christ is to go against 
this, the flow of the culture, and that's true here, but in other cultures, it means that you're going to be persecuted. There's going to be affliction brought to you. You're going to not get jobs. You're going to lose privileges that are normal to that country. You are even maybe going to lose your life as a result of your faith. That's what's going on here. Now, we don't see that yet. Um, but there's a trend going on in our culture. It's really interesting that as I interact with people and as we're called to be in the culture, right? We're called to be out loving people and interacting with them um, regardless of the threat. We're to still love them and be their genuine friends and share the good news, the very best thing we could ever tell them. But as we do that, you're going to encounter opinions and, and there's a tide that's flowing in a certain direction in the view towards Christianity. It's really interesting. Um, there is a predominant view of Christianity that's a gross caricature more and more so, where people are getting their views about the biblical faith from the movies and the internet more than from real Christians and, and genuinely reliable sources, Christian or not. So the mainstream culture is more and more seeing Christians as backwards, as anti-science, as right-wing, as intolerant and exclusive. And I take time in relating to people to help them understand that that's just not the case. It's not reality. Um, never mind, Christians are, are actually very culturally engaged, very involved in their communities. They're, they are uh, the most charitable people in our country in many ways. They're relatively intellectual. There's a lot of great thinking going on. They're heavily involved in the sciences. They have various political perspectives. They're not a one-party group. They're respectful of others. And, and I just say, if, if you're meeting people who are saying some of these things, just talk to them and maybe expose them. There's a wonderful, uh, wonderful organization called the Veritas Forum. It's run out of Harvard, and, and it's to basically help people understand that, that Christianity is, is a rigorous thinking faith. And we're not afraid to address anything, because we believe it's all God's creation, so uh, we should be able to think through and face anything. It's a wonderful, wonderful place uh, that discusses many cultural issues and issues of science and so forth. But anyhow, that trend is out there, and, and if it continues, there may be a day actually when, when to be a believer means to be actually persecuted, to actually be fired, to actually be put in jail, to actually even be put to death perhaps. That's the reality here in Thessalonica, and maybe that's our future reality. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to not be surprised by it. There's a whole other category though of affliction that needs to be addressed alongside of this, and we need to be careful that we don't think that the only legitimate Affliction we face is persecution. There's just the affliction of life. The whole category of circumstantial affliction. To live in this broken world is to face affliction. There's a whole book of the Bible devoted to just this topic. The book of Job. Big book just devoted to somebody, a, a, a man of faith, a man who's faithful to God and, and prosperous in his life in that in his walk with God, who loses all that prosperity, loses it all. Loses his wealth, loses all that he has, loses his children, and then loses his health, and just about loses his faith. And it's a wonderfully instructive book. I hope to actually preach through it at some point within the next couple of years. Um, and it teaches us about this reality of affliction, that we're destined for affliction. And in Job, Job teaches us um, how we might deal with affliction wrongly and how to deal with it rightly through his example, through examples of his friends and so forth. But also behind all that is just this, this truth that Paul's getting at is, guys, you're destined for affliction. To live in this world means to suffer at some point or another. We all will face 
deprivation of good. That's simply what suffering is. It's deprivation of good. The universe, the creation is made good and it was very good as mankind was made. And God's intention long term is to restore to that. But anytime there's a deprivation of that good intention, whether it's relationally, physically, spiritually, materially, emotionally, it's suffering. So there's all those different types of suffering, affliction to experience. And, and guys, the, the reality is, is our, our culture doesn't like to face that. I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't at all, but by and large, it's just not seen as something that we, they want to talk about. They want to kind of go around it. And Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. So the, the mainstream view of suffering is it's an interruption. And it's to be avoided and not talked about. But Scripture says something different. You are destined for this. This is part of life. You will suffer. You will face affliction. And it is part of God's plan. That's what's behind here. God in His sovereignty and His goodness works all things for good. He uses affliction. He uses suffering for good. And we'll get into that more a little bit as we go along. So in the culture, you'll hear things like life is good and carpe diem. The heroes of this culture are the ones that that don't suffer. They're the ones that look great. They're the ones with the perfect bodies and the perfect skin and the perfect athletic performance. Those are the heroes of our culture. But the heroes of Scripture are those that are weak and who suffer and endure and hold on and trust God and, and overcome in their weakness and in their suffering. The historical Heroes of the Christian faith as well are ones who suffer. One of my heroes is John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote what used to be the number two book in English in the world. Number one book has continued to be the Bible. May that ever be. The number two book used to be Pilgrim's Progress. And there was a time when if you spoke English, you had two books in your house. Probably most people could only afford two. You'd have the Bible and you'd have John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And, and this was a man who suffered. He came to Christ... Uh, it, back in England in the 1600s, he, uh, he came to Christ and, and he was just, uh, his life was transformed and God gave him a gift for pastoring and proclaiming the Word. And he would, he would actually preach to crowds of a thousand or more who would come to hear him proclaim the Gospel, proclaim the good news of Christ and the truth of Scripture. Uh, the great theologian and leader John Owen, uh, who was friendly with the king, said to King Charles once, when King Charles said, why do you have anything to do with this guy? Because John Bunyan was just, uh, he was uneducated. He was a tinker, so it's kind of a low-level job. Uh, and yet he had this gift for pastoring and preaching. And so the king said, why even bother with this guy? And John Owen said, may it please your majesty, could I possess the tinker's ability for preaching, I would willingly relinquish all my learning. This man could preach and proclaim God's Word. But he suffered. He was imprisoned for 12 years of his life while his children were young. And his, children, uh, his wife and four children suffered through poverty. And in those days, to be in prison was not, it's never good, but today at least you're going to be warm and well-fed. Back then, you were not warm or well-fed. It was, it was dangerous to be in prison. You could catch disease. It was dirty. Uh, you didn't have food or clothing that had to be supplied by your family. And yet, Bunyan's chief concern in prison was for his family. He says the following about being in prison. He says, the parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. And he, by the way, was in prison because of proclaiming the Gospel. I didn't mention that. He, uh, he was not properly ordained in the Church of England. And so it was against the law 
to pastor and, and proclaim. And he said, I can't stop preaching the gospel. And he was so he was thrown in jail for, for that. He said, I should have often brought to my mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family was like to meet with should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. Oh, the thoughts of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. I saw in this condition I was as a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children. Can you imagine being in jail for 12 years for your faith and suffering this way and watching your family live in poverty? And yet this man, from that suffering, produced one of the greatest books in history, Pilgrim's Progress. And if you read that story, it's about it's an allegorical story of the Christian life and Christian suffers. The main character suffers. And he, yes, he enjoys much good, but he suffers. And then it's through that he enters the kingdom of God. Guys, we are to live knowing that we are destined for suffering. That needs to be told. It needs to be understood. It's not an interruption. It's central to God's plan. It's what He does. It's part of His plan. Your suffering, your afflictions are under His sovereign care, under His sovereign plan. And they're not an interruption. They're part of the plan. And they're part of how He works the greater good. So let me ask you, in your suffering, whatever it might be, do you see it that way? Do you see it as an interruption or do you see it as part of how you're called to worship God? In your suffering, are you a complainer or a worshiper? Or do you only worship in prosperity? Is it only when things are good that you really feel free to worship? That's not God's design. It's that through faith in Him as we understand how to overcome, and we'll, we'll talk about that, we worship Him even amidst suffering. Let's learn to live this out in our lives. Let us learn to live according to this truth that we are destined for affliction. And affliction, the next point, tests us. That's, that's, the, that's what's behind it. It's difficult. Afflictions are difficult. That's kind of, of course, it's an obvious statement. That's what makes them afflictions. They're difficult. But they test us in that difficulty. They're painful. They're unpleasant. There's nothing really good in the affliction itself. In, in the suffering itself, there's nothing good. And, and so it tests us. And so that's what's going on with Paul as, as he's thinking about the Thessalonians, he's realizing they're afflicted in persecution. They're being threatened with loss of comfort. They're being threatened with loss of relationship. They're being threatened with loss of, of jobs, loss of life even. And he's concerned because he knows this affliction will test them. And it will test them even to the point of losing their faith. That's his concern here. He's thinking that you know we, we had to leave and you guys have been afflicted and we might come back and find no believers anymore because because you professed initially, but as you faced affliction, you all decided that it's just not worth it. And you left Jesus. And so that's what he's, he's torn up about. The testing, how difficult it is, and he knows the level of testing. And we need to understand that about affliction, guys. Sometimes we misunderstand affliction and we think that there's, there's a Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's a one to memorize. It's a great one. It's true. It's God's Word. It says, No temptation, that could be trial as well, and no affliction, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we hear that verse. It's a true verse. And we think, okay, there will never be an affliction that will be too hard for me. And that's not true. 
The promise of overcoming is not you overcoming simply in what is acceptable to you. Like this is, this is I can do this, I can't do that. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you in who you are naturally apart from Christ. It means you in Jesus. You trusting in Jesus. You belonging to Jesus. That person will not find something too overwhelming. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't take you to the breaking point. Afflictions, that's the whole nature of an affliction. It will press you to, to the breaking point. To, till you feel like, I can't do this. I have nothing. I don't want to do it. And if it's left up to me, I don't even want to follow Jesus anymore if this is what it means. That's what afflictions do. They press you to that point. And there's a purpose in that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians about his own life, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Hear that again. This is the affliction. This is what it does to Paul. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's the Apostle Paul. Probably apart from Jesus, the godliest man in Scripture, right? The most gifted guy we, we observe. And saying we were so burdened beyond our strength. So this was beyond us. That we despaired of life itself. We, we wanted to, to end our lives. And then he says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And then they answered, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. And this is not a platitude for Paul. He's pressed to the point where he feels like giving up. I'd rather be dead right now is what he's saying. And it pressed me to the point, pressed Paul to the point and his team to the point where they had to realize we have nothing, we want to die, and we need God. We need to, to learn in, in our despair and being pressed to the breaking point to turn our eyes upon Jesus and find real help and real strength to overcome. The goal of affliction is to bring us to the end of ourselves that we might find Christ all we need. Tim Keller says it this way, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I don't say that lightly. And it's grueling to watch people have to go through these things. And it's grueling to go through it yourself. But it's good. It's no wonder that the metaphor of gold and, and refining of gold is used in Scripture for this process. It is fitting and helpful. Peter in 1 Peter says, uh, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, or as necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You have been grieved by various trials. And then he says this, So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Being tested by affliction, by trials, is like gold being tested by fire. Fire hurts. Fire burns. Fire makes things melt. Fire unhinges things. Fire makes things come apart. But when there's gold there, what it does is it reveals what's in mixed in with the gold that isn't gold. 
so that the things that should come apart do. And what's left is gold. What's left is, is precious things. That's how you test gold. You bring it to, to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It melts. And you add some things in there and, and, it, and all the dross, the stuff that's not gold comes out. And then you can skim it off the top. And then what you're left with is pure gold. And this is what affliction does in our lives. It exposes us. It, it, it exposes our, our need for Jesus. It exposes what's in us that's not of Jesus. So don't be surprised right, in affliction when you have some bad attitudes that you're dealing with. When you start to wonder, is it all worth it? Should I be following Jesus? If this is what it means. Don't, don't be surprised when you minister to others who are struggling with affliction and they say things like that. And they seem to be on the edge of faith. They seem to be ready to walk away. Don't be surprised. That's the dross coming out, being exposed. And that's the moment where the Lord would meet them and they would learn to, to put their trust in Jesus, to hang on to Jesus and let go of that other stuff. Even the stuff that, that's good stuff that God blesses us with, it's not about the stuff, it's about Him ultimately. And sometimes He has to use affliction to even separate us from things that are good things. So that we would hold on to Him first and then through Him enjoy those good things. That's the goal being refined. It's Jesus in you. It's genuine faith. It's His life in you. It's the glory of an indestructible life with Him that He wants to shine forth and for all to see and enjoy for eternity. And afflictions are how God does this. They're difficult because they test and try us. So, so, so let us understand that this is part of life. For us as believers. Let us not be shocked by suffering. Let us not be shocked by our own suffering. Let us not be shocked by other suffering. In our culture, you know, our culture doesn't want to look at suffering. And, and often what you'll see is people who are really suffering, people don't want to be around them. It's, it's awkward. You know, and so the whole thing, like we, we always say, how you doing, right? Who here, like almost always says, good, no matter what. Right? Because you know I mean, that's what you're supposed to say. But if you're like, oh, I'm really terrible. I'm really struggling today. Or would, and just, if you just came out with all your struggles, I mean, it, it, people would be shocked. But we shouldn't be shocked. And especially for the church, we should understand that, that there's affliction, there's suffering. And, and so we're not surprised by our own. And we shouldn't be surprised by others. And we shouldn't shy away from people who are suffering. We should engage them. That's the next point. God uses others to work grace for afflictions. This is a necessary part, and that's part of the context here. Paul can't bear it any longer. He can't bear the fact that they're suffering any longer. So what does he do? He doesn't just say, I'm, I'm just going to pray. I know that God's sovereign. He's going to work this out. And if you genuinely belong to Him, you're going to endure, right? So I mean, we know that if you're in, Jesus holds you in His hand, He's never going to let you go and you can't snatch yourself. So we're just going to you know, pray and believe in the sovereignty of God to keep those who are His own. So he prays and trusts that and he moves on. Is that what he does? No. He can't bear it any longer and so he does something. He sends Timothy to them to exhort and encourage them in their faith because he, he's concerned they're going to lose their faith. So he sends Timothy to exhort and encourage them in their faith. That's, that's fascinating. And it's good to, to step back and think about it. That, that this is how God works. Yes, indeed, you are held in His hand and no one can snatch him out of his, you out of His hand. But how does He work that? He works that by sending people to you to help you. 
by putting you in a body of Christians who come alongside you to love you and encourage you and be there for you. That's how it works. And brothers and sisters, if, if you are a believer and think that somehow you can just you know, do whatever you want and it doesn't matter, He's going to keep you, you're, 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 you're contrary to Scripture. And you're in danger. And you may find out that you're not a Christian actually because you're not going to endure. So don't, don't do that. Don't test the Lord. Employ the means that He's called you to employ. Be around other Christians. Be here on Sundays. Be with a small group. Build relationships. Because His means of keeping you amidst affliction is through people. God is a God who works through means. He works through His creation to accomplish His sovereign plan. And, and He doesn't normally work apart from that. He uses means in every way. He uses people. He uses certainly His Word and prayer. He uses people and, and who they are. He uses your brain. He uses everything. He, he uses His creation to accomplish His plan. And so in this context, when, when Paul can't bear it any longer, he sends Timothy. And he himself desires to go there later to supply what is lacking in their faith. This is an important thing to get. Because we could talk about affliction and it could all be theory. We could think, yeah, we're all going to suffer, but we're just going to trust God and then move on from there and miss what's going on here. Miss the reality that, that there's a means, there's a way that God ministers to us in our afflictions. Through people. Through people taking action. Through people being means of grace to help us. So let us not be the man in the, the, the old story. The man caught in the flood. And he's a spiritual guy and, and he, he's, he's in his home and the floodwaters are coming and he says... Um, I'm going to pray to God for deliverance from the flood. So he prays, Lord, would you deliver me from this flood? And he's, he's expecting God to come in some powerful way and rescue him in the flood. And along comes a fire truck because the water's only like a foot deep. Along comes a fire truck. And they say, hey, mister, come on, get on the fire truck. We're going to come take you to safety. And he's like, no, I'm waiting for God. I prayed and I know God's going to rescue me. And so, okay, the fire truck moves on and then the water comes up higher. Now it's a, a few feet deep and a boat comes along. Hey, mister, come on onto the boat, we're going to rescue you. And he says, no, uh, I, I know God's going to rescue me. I prayed and I have a great God who's going to rescue me. Time goes on and the flood water rises and now he's up on the roof and a helicopter comes along and lowers down the basket and they're like, come on, you got to get in the basket, we're going to rescue you. And he's like, no, I know God's going to deliver me. And then the waters continue to rise and he drowns and he dies and he's before God and he's like, God, I prayed for you to deliver me, what happened? God said, what more did you want? I sent a fire truck, I sent, I sent a boat, and I sent a helicopter. <laughs> Guys, you are the fire truck and the boat and the helicopter for your brothers and sisters in affliction. You are God's means to help them so that they would keep walking with Jesus. You are how God ministers to others and how we minister to one another in life. You are the fire truck, the boat, and the helicopter. So let, let's not just pray from afar and expect God to move in some extraordinary way. He may do that. But what we see here in Scripture, the normal means is through people like Timothy and Paul going to the Thessalonians and caring for them and encouraging them and helping them. And I'm so grateful for how you guys do this. As I've watched... You care for our sister Soyla as she's dealt with cancer again in her life and chemotherapy and the various temptations with that. 
that we all go through when we face serious sickness with this, the severity of affliction that she's experienced. You guys have been there for her, caring for her and encouraging her. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. And I am also wanting us just to grow to do it more and more. And I'm excited about uh, Pastor Jeff leading and creating the crisis care team. And this team uh, doing this more and more and really learning how to do this well. The reality is, I, I'm as grateful as I am for Soil, I can think of others who are falling through the cracks in our church who need people to come alongside. And, and so just learning how to do this better. Learning how to be God's means to, to come alongside those in affliction that they might be kept in Jesus, that they might be strengthened, that they might be cared for, that they might even grow as they experience the love of Christ through you. So just encourage you if that's on your heart to sign up and, and be part of that and thank you for those who are going to the counseling class because part of crisis care is bringing good biblical counseling um, and some of us are called to not just be there to bring a meal not just to be there to hold a hand and pray as important as that is but to actually bring some counseling to, to bring them back to the, the goodness of the gospel and to be there and to help them in, in those ways so thank you for those who are part of that and, and there's just there's just need all around us I said to the class the other night, uh, it, I, said, I asked them, how many people do you think in our church are, are facing affliction in some way? Uh, and had people guess, and they were, they were close. I think it's about 50%. About half of our church is dealing with some major affliction in life right now. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? It says we're destined for it. Um, and yet, we're called to care for one another, to love one another, to be the means of of grace in their lives that they might, they might endure and overcome. That's, that's what the point is in our care is that they might be cared for so that they overcome. This is what's going on with Paul. This is why he sends Timothy because he wants them to, to overcome the affliction, to not deny Jesus, to be strengthened, to be reminded of how precious it is. And, and so when he hears back, final point, he hears back he, that they've overcome. He celebrates. And it's just wonderful to see his heart. He says, but now that Timothy has, uh, has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul is elated. He says now we live. Before, we, it was like we were dying a slow death thinking about how you're doing. Paul loved these people. When you love people, you want them to be with Jesus. We talked about that last week. When you are affected by the good news of Christ yourself and you come to understand that there's nothing in this world more precious that can be compared in any way to Jesus, to God, and who He is and His goodness. There's nothing better than His love. His love is better than life. There's nothing better than to be reconciled to Him and belong to Him and come what may in this life, whether it's good or bad, we can deal with it because we have Jesus. And the wonderful good news of the Gospel is He offers Himself freely to us. There's, there's no like entrance exam you have to take. You don't have to kind of like pass some morality level or some intellectual level or whatever. All you need to do is simply abandon all other attempts to, to somehow make your life right and, and earn God's favor and receive His gracious answer in Christ. He sent His only Son 
to die on the cross for you to pay for your sins. All your offenses against God, the things you've done wrong, failure to love God, failure to love others, your offense against other people, those are ultimately offenses against God in His perfect goodness. And yet in His goodness, He's come to rescue you from the punishment for that sin. The wage of sin is death. Spiritual death. And if you are not in Jesus, you are, and, and I would be too, spiritually dead. And if you continue in that state, you'll live in that deadness forever. That's what we call hell. And yet God in His love sent His Son to pay for your sins, to die on the cross, to rise again victorious over sin and death. So you, through simply turning away from sin and self-effort and realizing who Jesus is and just saying, Jesus, I want you. I want you more than anything else that this world can offer. I want you. And just receiving Him through faith, you are forgiven. You're welcomed into His family. You're secure. You're safe. And in Him, you're, you are learning. We are learning that He is all we need. With Him comes every good thing. And so when we experience that, we, we experience that love of Christ. We want others to experience it. That's where our heart is. And so Paul is concerned that the Thessalonians would somehow abandon Jesus because of affliction. And so when he finds out that they've endured that they're overcoming through Timothy, through others, through the Word, through prayer. He is just full of joy. And He really lives, He says. Now we really live. We were struggling before. And there's nothing better than to know that our dear brothers and sisters are still walking with Jesus. If you've been a Christian a while, I'm sure you have friends and and. They move on, they relocate, whatever might happen. And, and to, when you hear news about that, them and that they're still walking with Jesus, they're still involved in the church, it brings joy. Uh, I know for Peg and for me, we've been Christians since uh, early college days. And we keep in touch with some of our friends. And it's just such a delight to see them still walking with Jesus. There's one young woman um, who... We've known since we, we lived in Maryland for a little while. We're out of state, moved back. And she, uh, just a wonderful, beautiful, godly young lady, uh, got serious Lyme disease about 15 years ago and, and has suffered. Uh, it's advanced, and parts of systems of her body have shut down. She needs special nutrition. And for 15 years, she suffered greatly. Serious chronic fatigue. And yet, to interact with her is to see gold shining. And to see her close to Jesus brings uh, joy and it feels like an honor to be her friend as she shines. And, and as your pastor, one of your pastors, this is part of our experience as we watch you guys go through difficulties. Things like the loss of loved ones, uh, children strained from the Lord, sickness, financial struggles, relational difficulties, and yet watch you by God's grace keep your eyes on Jesus. That's a holy privilege. One of the highest privileges I have as a pastor is to walk with you through those things. But we're all called to this, guys. This is, this is life. This is God's Word. We are destined for afflictions. If the bag come up as I transition. We're destined for afflictions, but overcome them as God uses others to strengthen and care for us. That's the central message here. So let us adjust our perspective. Let us know that afflictions are part of life. Let us not be shocked or surprised by our own afflictions or others, and let us recognize that God uses the means of grace, of relationships, uses us to help others overcome affliction. And He does all this that in the end He might make 
the gold shine forth. Let's pray and then Jeff will lead us. Lord, we thank you for your